welcome to this week's episode of Off The Shelf. My guest this week is Anna Burt. Now, you've probably heard of Anna and that's probably how I know of Anna. So I had first heard of her on the Brighton Book Club podcast. And from that, I was signposted to her other podcast, which is called The Mother of All Losses. And as regular listeners will know, my mum is very ill and her illness kind of is what spurred me on to set up this podcast. So welcome to the show, Anna. Thank you very much, Phoebe. Thank you. Um, it's very funny when people say, oh, of course, you know who she is. I mean, a very small circle of people may, but <laughs> we can get your hopes up. <laughs> well, I think they should, like I said, your bit of a podcast master, mistress, I'd say now. I don't really know how you say it. You're a dab I'm hand at them. Yeah, you're a dab <laughs> hand at them. So as I touched upon, you do the Brighton Book Club podcast. How did that come about? Yeah, that's really interesting. So um, I've been doing it, I think September will be its third year. So um, I live and work and was born in Brighton. I've moved away and I've come back and I feel very passionately about books and writing in Brighton. I also work for Myriad, which is um, a publisher based in Brighton. And um, I've done various work with New Writing South before and Creative Future, etc. Oh, hang on one second. Oh, sorry, love, that was my my new next door neighbour. No, um, that's fine. You've got, you've got to keep your neighbours on your good side. Absolutely. Um, although it is raining, you should invite me for walks, I'm not sure about that. Um, so um, Radio Reverb were looking for um, someone to do a show about books and Ben Noble, who was there at the time, reached out to me or we reached out to each other. I recorded a pilot episode with Emma Jane Unsworth, who's a friend of mine based in Brighton and a writer. And it got commissioned, which is really exciting. Um, and Radio Reverb are a great company. They're a not-for-profit community radio station. So no one gets paid. Um, but um, mm. I've recently been getting sponsors in for the show, which is really good. So I like to make sure that um, there's always a focus on someone writing or doing something interesting in Brighton. But it's also, you know, from beyond. We've got, um, you know, authors from all over the world, all over the UK. Um, and each month we pick, we choose a book that I read and discuss on the show and sometimes get the author on. Um, and it's great, you know, we have authors that are Sunday Times bestsellers and we have authors that are self-published kind of pamphlets. Do you know what I mean? It's really nice. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's really nice to have that range. So what book are you reading this month? Are you allowed to say that? I should have said that before I asked. Yeah, and actually this, um, this mixes in quite nicely with one of your prompts because it was the last book that made me cry. Um, well, which... shall we start with that one then? So tell <laughs> us about the last book that made you cry. So um, this is a book by Tanya Byrne, who is a Brighton, um, called Ash, who falls in love with a girl called Poppy on a school trip, basically. They enter like this very, very intense relationship and then tragedy hits and um, on Ash is the last person to die on New Year's Eve. And the last person to die on New Year's Eve basically gets met by a group of sassy female reapers, basically grim reapers, and for a year then, she has to work as a reaper. So you, um, she's basically sent to people just as they die and she has to escort their souls to Brighton Beach where Sharon will put them in a boat and take them beyond the water to the afterlife. So um, the novel follows the year. Interesting. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. Um, the novel follows the year, um, that the year kind of after um, Ash dies and the, the kind of reapers that she builds relationships with. And then she's faced with this really big dilemma when um, Poppy comes back into her life um, of, um, of what she does then. And I just thought, I just thought it was a perfectly structured, beautiful coming of age, coming of like resilience, 
coming of sexuality book I really really enjoyed it I um, think Tanya's writing is really beautiful she's another person um, whose mum died before her time before she when she was young and you really get her level of there's such a big level of empathy in it and I think that um, you know when people can write well about death and dying and love all in one um, mm. book it's kind of really perfect for me if it's too maudlin I can't do it it has to be there has to be some kind of element of fun or make-believe or funny to it and I think um, something that I write about in the book that I'm working on is this kind of Disney narrative of death that we have that people kind of come back to life or you see apparitions of people and it just doesn't work like that and um, and I think Tanya just tackles it really with such a light touch and I highly recommend it. I mean, it's a young adult book but woo, they hit heavy those young adult books and I'd really, really recommend it. Yeah, I read some back now and I'm like, oh my God, this is much, there are layers upon layers of meaning that I just didn't get at the time. Yeah, And it sounds like such an interesting concept. Yeah, if, if, really I, if I die and I go to Brighton Beach, I will haunt you and let you know, so you know to prepare. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> oh no, that sounds, that sounds so interesting. Like I said, Tanya is someone who's, who's um, sadly lost her mum before her time. And yeah, I, yeah. it's one of the things that I... Yeah, I read books now that I read before that involve um, uh, orphan, someone with an ill parent or a family member, and I read them before, and I'm like, oh, you know, it, it's sad, but it's not. And then I read them now, and I'm like sobbing. And I remember a few years back, my friend, her dad, again, died before his time, and I'd recommend things to watch to her, and she'd be like, wait, is there a dead dead parent in this? And I'd watch it and be like, yeah, okay, don't watch it. There are so many things with dead parents in that you just don't think about. It's such a trope in writing and everything. It's like basically a personality trait. People give people a dead parent and it gives them a kind of de damaged personality trait, which is a bit weak sometimes, I think. But um, yeah, it is such a literary thing, you know, the orphan, the long lost father, the absent mother, all of those things. Mm, they, no, they are a bit tropey, I'll give you that. But it sounds like this book isn't, so that's good. Um, we started off with the heavy stuff. So let's carry on in that tone. Please tell us about the book that got you through a difficult time. Well, I thought I know how interested you are in um, in. I've got I've actually got two. I'm cheating here. Um, there are there are two difficult cheat. times. It's my podcast. <laughs> I I make the rules. It's fine. Two difficult times that I want to talk about. One of them was when my mum just died, and I as, really as you touched that. upon, I have a morbid curiosity about this now. Um, and just after she died, so I was 21, and I was at university, and I was in my final year. And I was doing a creative writing, uh, no, creative nonfiction module. I really like creative nonfiction, I always have. And I um, wrote about the um, weekend over Easter that we scattered her ashes. So I read um, books, like, books by Joan Didion. Um, I read um, Christopher O'Rourke's poetry, um, C.S. Lewis. I, wrote a I read a lot about grief. And then there was one book called The Long Goodbye by Megan O'Rourke which I'd returned to and it just really, really stuck with me. Um, I remember sitting in a cafe where my friend was working. I wanted to be kind of near her, but not, you know, but not in her face. And I just remember sitting in the window reading that book, just thinking like, she gets it, she gets it, she gets it. And, it, and it's really interesting, it's been eight years and I'm not sure that I could read it again now. You know, it might bring up too many mm. things, it might be too raw, but at the time, I just remember um, you know, talking about how losing a mother is often like a kind of bomb going off in the family. And she was very close with her mum, as was I. And um, 
and that a whole family will have the same injury and different symptoms. And, um, I, you know, I, myself and so many people had the same injury, the same thing had happened to us. But the way that we responded to it was different. The way that mm. it manifested itself in our lives and our behavior and our thoughts was different to um, for everyone. And it, it definitely, I think I came back to it when I was having a difficult time with my dad further down the line, thinking like, I need to remember that, you know, we've all lost something very significant it's not just something that's happened to me and it's not just something that's happened to him and I cannot expect everybody to respond and act the same mm. so, um, so a couple of things say about that number one very impressive you did final year of uni with that grief I mean hats off to you secondly probably giving away my naivety what is creative non-fiction ah okay well, creative non-fiction is just factual well I don't know if everyone's turning off in disgust at my ignorance, I'm sorry, but please, please elaborate. Well, and more than you realise will be creative nonfiction. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, you get your kind of more straight up nonfiction, like books about science or books about physics or books mm -hmm. about, well, you know, or biography or even autobiography. But creative nonfiction uses kind of creative licence to talk about things that have happened. So it's often um, a really good way of like talking about memoir. Um, memoir is often creative non-fiction uh, okay that makes sense we can't remember yeah. every conversation we had we cannot remember everything exactly you know so mm. you have that creative license and it's maybe less because it's it's fact in a sense but it's your fact right oh, okay so for example for example you know you had a conversation with say your mum and this was the gist of it but you can't remember exactly oh that's yeah. very interesting yeah that makes sense um oh yeah I mean, now you, now you explain it, it makes perfect sense. So everyone can turn back on now at my evening. But no, <laughs> I, that's uh, I was, I was fueled by a lot of adrenaline and I had a lot of my friends kind of holding me up for that final year and I had a really good personal tutor, but I also don't know how I did that too. I uh, don't, my, don't take me as an example. <laughs> my brother's girlfriend, she doesn't listen to this, so I, I can talk about how close you went She lost her mum when she was in, just like her second year of university. And, at the time, I didn't know how to do it. And now I've come close to that. I look back and I still don't know how she did it. Be 19 and have that. I no, I, I don't know how people do it. But you have to, don't you? Well, I didn't want to stop. And then, because I knew I'd never go back. If I left, I would never have gone back. Yeah, I see that. I see that. So you said you've chosen two books. So what's your second book? Yeah, the other one was, um, <laughs> it's another happy story. Um, when I was about um, 25, I had a mental breakdown. Um, and um, it also coincided with the end of a really significant relationship that I was in. And I was simultaneously like very ill, very heartbroken and very nurtured by my friends who I lived with at the time who all, I mean, it makes me up. This is the kind of stuff, the kindness that I get so upset about. And they really rallied around me and they were wonderful. And well, well, shout out to your friends, shout out to them. <laughs> shout out to the girls. They know who they are. Um, they basically, set up a rotor so I wasn't on my own for two weeks my colleagues are amazing I got time off work and my friend Hockley who I adore who also works in publishing um who I hope she, listens to this because you know this is obviously a must listen in publishing circles <laughs> a must listen I'll send it to her anyway um <laughs> she sent me a book um by Sylvia Brownwig and I've written down what it's called because I've just forgotten um oh, I have, oh pages for pages for you um and it was about the coming together of two women in their 30s who had um, been lovers at university and who had um, who met at a conference basically and I just think that her grasp on 
reality and hope and love and um all of these kind of really and the way that she builds tension and sexual tension and it just definitely taught me like I felt at the time like I might have made one of the biggest mistakes of my life and lost probably the person that was going to love me the most and be the kindest and best to me and reading that book really made me realize that that might well be the case but that might not be forever and not like oh you might get back together but there will be more and there will be other times and there will be other opportunities and life will move on and life will change and life goes in strange spiderweb motions. So don't focus on what you've lost and focused on, you know, what you can do and what you can have moving forward. And I think if anything, there's a third option there, which is, and I really subscribe to this, that the loves of your life are actually your female friends, the ones that hold you up. Oh, a hundred percent. I feel very strongly about this. I mean, I've, I have the loves of my life and they are my friends and they are wonderful. Um, and I get, you know, and I know that we get so much from each other that we don't necessarily get in our romantic relationships, but that doesn't matter because we don't need it, you know, and I'm held up by them and I'm held up by women. My mum's generation older than me. I'm held up by many people, um, a bit like you know Dolly Alderton's book everything I know about love I really enjoyed and I thought there was so much there about friendship being the kind of ultimate the ultimate love mm, no I yeah completely agree could not agree more so moving on from well hopefully we'll have an, a better book now uh well not better I should rephrase uh, <laughs> a, a more light-hearted book shall we say so let's go for the book that you remember the first time that you read Oh, I loved these books when I was younger. So there was a series of books written in the early to mid 90s. Um, it was by Joan Lingard, Lingard, um, with the 12th of July. And they were about two, um, a Catholic girl and a Protestant boy or vice versa. I can't remember. Um, and it was about the relationship that they had during the Troubles. And there was a whole series. There was like 10 of them. And I... Mm -hmm adored them I felt simultaneously very grown up because they were talking about sex and relationships but also I was learning about like these divides and the troubles which is something that I don't have any particular connection to you know mm. I don't have family that were a part of it or anything like that I loved the in the same way that I loved Mallory Blackman's Noughts and Crosses when I was younger I, oh, loved I was just them. about to say dude, that was my yeah yeah I, I, lo I loved them I love a romance of Jeopardy. I love a romance of Jeopardy. Darling, the thing is, so I read, so Noughts and Crosses, I don't know, is, is a series of books recently turned into a new series. And I read Noughts and Crosses, and I don't know how, but for ages, I didn't realise it was part of the series. And then someone told me, and I read the rest of them. But for ages, I was really furious, because I was like, this, this one book is so good, you don't need more. Mm -hmm. So apparently, you know, 10-year-old me thought Mallory Blackman was wrong. <laughs> she's not <laughs> no she's not wrong at all I know that now I mean essentially they're all kind of you know it's the Romeo and Juliet structure isn't it but who doesn't love I mean I love romance I love romantic comedies I write romantic comedies I love them and I love the sense of I mean these aren't comedies by any means but I love that I love the sense of two people not being able to be together and coming together through dire circumstances and, you know, forming one unit and going on to kind of do Come what they can. The world. Play, the world. Yeah. <laughs> no, I get that. I think the older I get, the more I realise a lot of things are based on the world. The world. People think that 
I sound like the bit in love actually at the start when he's like, the world isn't about hate, the world is about love, but it's true. The older I get, the more I see it. 100%. Well, we have to make it because it's just a, a horrible <laughs> place out there. <laughs> it is, it is. But no, I hadn't heard of that series. When you started talking, I thought you were going to say um, the series, and I can't remember who writes it. I think it's Louise Nicholson, Angus Songs and Perfect Snogging. Oh, yeah, she lived in Brighton. She was a friend it's of there a friend. in Brighton, isn't it? Yeah. It is. I was just a little bit old for it, I think. Ah, fair enough. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, I'm trying to think what other series I love when I was younger. Uh, Princess Diaries. You might be the right age for that. No, I did like the films, though. Yeah, no, there, there was a book. I think, she, I think Meg Cabot wrote them and she did another set. I can't remember what they were. But anyway, so moving on to, uh, or kind of capitalizing on this, what's your favorite character or the book with your favorite character? One of the best books that I read last year, and I have banged on about this book, like so people must be so bored of it, is um, Boy Parts by Eliza Clark. Um, Interesting. I, I've seen it on the shelf, but I haven't read it. Oh man, I loved it. I was in a bit of a slump last year. I read it when it just when it came out um, mm. in lockdown. And I read it in like a couple of days. It's fast paced. It's fun. People compare it to kind of an American psycho vibe, but I mean, it's much better than that. Having read American psycho, I haven't watched it. Um, and it's um, Arena, this absolutely narcissistic, deliciously dark, kind of awful, but amazing character. And it was, she's so compelling. And I just love reading. I love it when people kind of, play with you know female tropes and and she it's a very it's very a um it's really it really kind of takes the piss out of art and snobbery in London and you know what it's like to be beautiful and how beauty you know if Arena wasn't beautiful the novel kind of wouldn't have stood and it was how society and people treat beautiful oh, people okay. and get away with everything I absolutely adored it and I um was lucky enough to Eliza's come on the podcast before on the radio show and also I did a live event with her last year and it was the first one that she'd done the first one that I'd done in ages and we had a real laugh and we got everybody during the um break to um write their kind of most grotesque story on a <laughs> postcard and she judged them and it was really good fun. Oh, I don't know what mine would be I'll have to think about that one. Hmm. But no, it does find a really interesting book. Like I said, I've seen it on the shelf, but I love it. Interesting. And so that's your favourite character now. When you're a child, do you have a favourite character? No, well, I, I'm a Harry Potter child. I loved it. But, I loved but, it. But were you a Hermione, Ginny? No, I like Ron. Like <laughs> I really Ron. believe Ron. <laughs> He's my kind of guy. Um, I think if I was, yeah, if I was in it, I'd have been Ron. I was in it. <laughs> I think I'd like to think I would have been Hermione, but I probably would have been Neville. My mate's son has just started watching Harry Potter and he declared that he thought I was Hermione recently, which I was quite chuffed about secretly. But um, I think I was a bit intimidated by Hermione, um, but I really liked, I liked one. I love a redhead. Well, for uh, listeners, my dog is officially fox red, but he's basically a gin. And I was showing him to Anna before we started recording and she did love him. So that's probably true. So that's science for you. <laughs> So moving on to the final books that you've chosen, yeah, your favourite non-fiction book. And I'm still reeling for the revelation of creative non-fiction. So is this non-fiction or creative non-fiction? This is a graphic novel. This is a graphic non-fiction. I think you're the first person to ever choose a graphic novel. This is a book called Billy, Me and You by Nicola Streeton, Dr. Mm -hmm. Nicola Streeton. And it is about um, 
she's probably about 10 years old now and it's about um the death of her the sudden the death of her two-year-old son who had a heart condition mm. and it's a graphic novel and I think graphic novels can be a really really wonderful avenue to talk about very very difficult subject graphic memoir mm. is the category that it really is um, and it's published by Myriad who I worked with and I've had the pleasure of meeting Nicola on many occasions and she's wonderful I mean if you if you get around to listening to the Brighton Book Club there is an episode on graphic novels and she's just amazing and Billy Me and You really it was the first graphic novel I read and it showed me, it kind of was my gateway into the form. And it was also my gateway into, into how people can talk about very difficult situations and tragedy and turn that into something creative and turn that into something helpful and turn that into something that is that other people can read. You know, it's a very generous thing to do and by no means should anybody do it. But if you want to, I mean, she is an artist as is her husband. I think that it was just, it really showed me the power of words and pictures. And it really definitely made me much more empathetic um, in grief. And mm. I read it a long time before I was, you know, really hit. I mean, you know, I'd lost people before, but I hadn't lost my mum, of course. And it really, it really kind of made me better at, at understanding grief and loss. Um, so I think, I really rate Nicola's work and um, she's amazing. She's a scholar. She has a PhD in women's comic artists. That, well, firstly, that's an amazing PhD to have. And secondly, I don't, I'm trying to remember, and I don't think I've ever read a graphic novel. Oh, I well, remember. So, I love graphic novels. There was another book that I nearly talked about, which was um, mm. the best book that I was given as a gift, which is another one um, by my friend Hockley who just after my mum died, sent me a book with a note, with a kind of trigger warning saying, be careful, this is sad. And it was yeah. The Monster Wars by Patrick Ness. Um, and I can't, he finished it on behalf of, excuse me, an author who, who um, died, whose name I can't remember and I apologize, but um, it honestly like was the way that words and pictures combined to portray something so unfathomable was just so, so beautiful. I know there are a few versions of it, but this was the illustrated version. It wasn't quite a graphic novel, but I really think that, um, which is funny, I have no interest particularly in like illustration as a thing, but I think it can be such a great tool mm. to make things accessible. Yeah, I know, but I think sometimes with, with things you know that are gonna to be tough to, to read or watch, you've got to rip the bandaid off. So my my this just come to me now so my mom's favorite film is a film called finding neverland and for those who haven't watched it it's about um jm barry writing to japan and historically it's known that the family that um was based on the mum in that family was very unwell and it's my mom's favorite film she cries every time but she still loves it and i was thinking many like when she was really ill i was like i'm gonna have to watch this just to rip the band-aid off a bit like with you in university but if I don't watch it now I, I'll, I'll just avoid it for the rest of my life mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's funny that and um you read different things in different ways like mm -hmm. as you get older I wrote my dissertation at university and my degree was in American and English Lit and I wrote it about um coming of age literature and how you it was about coming of age literature being a mirror for yourself so books mm -hmm. like The Catcher in the Rye, yeah, The Bell 
we read them at different times in our life and we see different versions of ourselves reflected back at us mm -hmm. and how books can really be that when you're younger especially and then when you revisit things as you get older um and I think that's it isn't it is you know you watch things at different parts of your life and it has different significance there are things that I just can't watch now that I just can't watch I don't mm -hmm. do it to myself to be honest like I've become a bit I don't watch things where people get murdered or lost or, you know, die much because I, I just don't. I mean, I don't watch a massive amount of telly, but no. I genuinely would rather watch Love Island. I want to watch telly to escape. Not yeah, to I'm completely the same. I'd rather watch the same thing that I've watched 10 times. And mm -hmm. I know that, you know, there's a happy ending, so to speak, or something that's sort of like death and murder. I'm like, I'm not, no interested. You know, people are obsessed with those true crime podcasts. No. Nope. Oh my gosh, yeah. Loads not, of my not, friends. I'm not interested. No, I don't want to listen B. to horrific murders. No, my friend B is like a connoisseur in murderers. Like you ask her any question about any of them, she just knows all of them. I'm like this is mental. How do you know this? Um, but I think as well in terms of like talking about happy endings, I think to circle back to the the mother of all losses, um, which. I'd love to talk about because it's something that I know you listen to, um, which is a project that myself and my friend Emily Benita, who's a gorgeous woman and comedian, set up as a podcast for people to talk about the death of their mums, to create solidarity and shared experience and to kind of break down that wall that especially English people have when talking about grief. And you were talking about happy endings. And I think that there's this, there's such a sense that you cannot that life ends. I remember feeling like my life ended when my mum died. I remember just thinking like, I cannot live now. I don't know what to do. She's never going to see this. She didn't see me graduate. She didn't see any of this. You know, my brother, even now, my brother just got a job and I feel so emotional about it because it's, you know, but she never knew that and things like that. It's still mm. part of your life, but you, you adapt in different ways. Sometimes it will, sometimes I will cry and cry and it will knock the wind out of me, but mostly I'm okay. And my ending wasn't not happy because of it too. And I think that that's something that often comes across in the mother of all losses is that it's never black and white. Um, you know, grief is nuanced and it changes shape and we change shape all the time. Um, and that it's a big hit and it's crazy. And I don't know how I got through those first few years, especially, you know, still being at university, being completely broke, having about five jobs, um, being in difficult relationships, navigating being someone in their early twenties, just coming out of university, trying to get jobs to like where I am now. And, um, you know, it's not all bad. You learn a lot and you become a better person for it, I think. You do, and I, I, I was actually trying to think about this, and I can't remember how I came across the mother of all losses. So regulators will know in uh, April, May, June last year, my mom was really ill in a coma. And I think I was go maybe Googling around grief podcasts, because at the same time I found the mother of all losses, I started listening to another one, which was called Shapes of Grief, which is also very good. Um, and I oh, this is better, right? Obviously, obviously <laughs> this is better, but I actually think, I mean, it's a bit of a politician's answer, I'm sure Shakespeare's of Grief is great, but there's a lot more different kinds of grief. So the one I just listened to was about someone who lost their son. And as sad as that is, that doesn't resonate with me in the same way specifically mm -hmm. as the mother of all losses. And I remember listening to it. And then uh, as listeners will know, the story goes that my mom um, came out of the and came out of hospital. Um, and she's currently on holiday, so fully for her. But... Uh, Side, the, side, the downside to that is um, she does have terminal cancer, so she won't go on holiday for, for very long or for you know, many years to come. So now I listen to The Mother of the Losses and I'm like, well, I'm pretty bored. My mom's not dead. But yeah. it's weird. I, 
terminal illness is something that I've been Googling a lot because I just think it's so interesting. And apparently they have a word for it. It's called anticipatory grief. Yeah. So you know well, it's coming, but you just, and in this, in my example, I know it's coming, but I don't know when. when. It's like an abstract point in time, but at some point there will be a time when a doctor says it will be three months from now, next week, right now, tomorrow, when, it, you know. But I suppose the argument with that is she could go under a bus tomorrow. And it, it would be exactly the same. I'm just not anticipating it. I, yeah. as, as, as I have a morbid curiosity with grief now. It's not, not a good look, I don't think. No, I don't think it's not a good look at all. I think it's it's a difficult subject to talk about and it's a difficult subject to get other people to talk about. Um, but I think that um, if anything, terminal illness affords you the time to have conversations that sudden death does not. So, mm, and that so many people who have lost relatives to COVID have not been able to do. And in a way, there's a privilege to that. I mean, it's horrible. It's horrible. And I wouldn't wish it on anyone. But I had conversations with my mum towards the end of her life. I knew what she wanted for her funeral. I knew, you know, we'd had conversations. She told me things that I felt that I needed to know. It wasn't a Disney ending. It was quite far from that. But mm. there is something in that when it wasn't a shock when it finally happened. It was very yeah. sad, but it wasn't a shock because she couldn't live anymore. Yeah. No, I, I understand what you mean, but so uh, as many listeners will know, my mum was having chemo she caught COVID she was in hospital she was in a coma and the doctor said to us a few times she's she's not going to make the night and she did and I remember there was one and I'm sure you have the same I look back and my memory is out of sequence I can't remember exactly when this was but there was a time when the doctor said we don't think she's going to make it if it comes to it um we'll take her off life support do you do you want to be here when when that happens and my brother and my dad, for their own perfectly valid personal reasons, didn't want to. And that's fine. That's their choice. But I said I would because I wouldn't. It's a weird one. I had to see it to believe it. Not that I think the doctors would be lying. But yeah, I feel like I had to see it to believe it. But touching on what you said about having conversations, my mum, when she was 30, I think. So a few years older than I am now. Her dad um, had a stroke while he was driving, crashed the car and died. Um, and so he died very suddenly so she's always taken the approach of you won't get that final conversation so when it came down to it I was like actually they did say to me if you come in we, we can't like, we'll be able to talk to her but we can't guarantee she'll be conscious or awake or she'll talk back she probably won't because she was really really sick by that point um and I was like well actually I don't have anything to say what would I say what, what am I going to, what, what is she going to say that I don't already know? What am I going to tell her that she doesn't already know? <laughs> yeah, it's a really surreal scenario. Yeah. Oh, I hope she doesn't listen to this one because I'm tearing up right now. <laughs> you know what, like, and it's really good to do that and it makes you vulnerable talking about it, but I'm sure even just talking about it will help people support you better, essentially. It's, well, it's just, it's, like I said, I feel like a bit of a fraud because I look back and I'm like, actually, she's still alive, so can't really be sad because... I'm like the you know the one percent of the one percent where she didn't die. Yeah, it's 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 very bizarre, very bizarre feeling because she came out of hospital, she's getting better from the coma, and again she's much better now. She's learned to walk again, learned to swallow again, all these other things. But she, I can see her getting better, but I know that she's terminally ill. It's a really weird, weird really weird thing. I mean, I don't know how she does it, but she does. Um, but yeah, so let's move let's move on from that. <laughs> very so, sad it's very sad could, i'm looking at your prompt list i love them all and i honestly i want to stay here forever and answer yeah. all of them but i'm going to quickly say a book that everybody should read 
Yep, go on then. Daughter, New Daughters of Africa, compiled by Margaret Busby, which is um, the work of 200 women of African heritage or descent. It's the second edition of this book, which is first one, which was published the year I was born in 1992. Um, and it is full of poetry, prose, essays, amazing array of women writers. And it's just a gorgeous thing to dip into. And it's also a book that you should buy for people. I also didn't know you were born in 1992. I'm also a 1992 baby, but I'm December, so the end of the year. So oh, there you go. So you go. The things you learn, eh? So moving on to the end of the show, five quick fire questions. So number one, fiction or non-fiction? Fiction. Uh, question number two, how often do you finish a book? 80% of the time. Okay, and do you kind of read one book a week one book a month oh yeah oh sorry I see what you mean no, um, every time I ask this question I'm like I really should rewrite this question <laughs> um I read I maybe a book every seven to ten days depending on my workload yeah no that's, that's a solid answer a solid effort so question number three favorite place to read my bed I mean, let, let the record also reflect. I mean, obviously my day job is legal. Let the record also reflect that we're doing this podcast from Anna's bed. I'm not in Anna's bed, just to be clear. I'm <laughs> um, just want to clear that one up. Uh, so question number four, what's your favourite independent, what's your, yeah, what's your favourite independent bookshop? I also, like... What's your most favourite, Margaret? That's not a phrase. <laughs> my most favourite? Um, City Books in Hove, um, near me. I love it. And that's where I met my really good friend. She doesn't work there anymore. She works at Daunt now um, called Elizabeth. And we became friends because she was the bookseller there. That's a great base for a friendship. Yeah. Oh, I can't lie. Uh, <laughs> so fifth and final question. What book are you most looking forward to reading next? Oh, let me look at my shelf. You know, the book that I've wanted to read for ages is by Evie Wilde and it's called Bass Rock. Um, and okay. all my book friends on Instagram love it and I really want to read it. Um, so I'm going to take it on holiday with me next month. Yeah, right. Good answer. I'm actually reading um, Kate Sawyer's The Stranding, which is about. Um, oh, yes. So I'm. That's one, yeah, so I'm about. I'm great in front of me. I'm 59 pages in exactly. And it's about um, a lady, again, this, it, it's a bit like um, uh, the Grim Reaper book. Sounds like an odd concept. It's about a lady that climbs inside a whale to survive the end of the world. Love that. It, again, it sounds a bit weird, but it's good. And I'm, I'm really going with it. Going with it. Uh, Amazing. Yeah, I've heard really good things about it. I'm mm. reading at the moment for work, actually. Um, but I would have probably read it anyway. Stronger by Porna Bell because... Um, oh, yeah, that's another like, one I've heard about. Yeah. It's great because I also do weightlifting. And um, so I'm really interested in the kind of culture of women's strength that she talks a lot about um, and about using um, exercise and weightlifting as a tool to deal with grief as well. Interesting. See, I'm, I'm not a weightlifter, but uh, shout out to my friend Grace, who tricked me into entering the London Marathon ballot. So I'm actually running the London Marathon. I don't I don't really want to think about it, but it's like two months yesterday, I think. Um, Have you been training? Well, so I actually ran it last, I did the virtual one last year, and kind of, so I was supposed to run it in April 2020. It got postponed to October 2020, and it was the virtual one. I ran the virtual one, which basically means just leave your house and run a marathon um and I have to say again just speaking about female friendships what got me through that is my friend Grace and my friend Hannah shout out to them they ran every step of the way with me 
Oh my God, I love them. As much as I love them, if one of them asked me to run a marathon with them, I'd have to be like, I'll cycle behind you. (laughs) I'll be at the end with a beer. Honestly, and the thing is, I completely woke up on the wrong side of the bed that day. I had a bad night's sleep. I hurt my knee. I didn't want to do it. It rained all day. And I mean, all day. And they ran every step of the day with me their parents between them made like a little rotor and did like water and snack stops every so many miles oh, that's and nothing, you're making me cry that's on, so- on like I am I can be a princess at times but I have the best friends ever and I don't know how they tolerate me and again I really hope they don't listen to this or maybe I, I hope they do and they know and they because know if you love someone tell them that is my yeah. most I think it's so important and life is way too short not to Oh yeah. no! I'm crying. <laughs> this is very, it's a, this is a very emotional podcast episode. Well, I have to say, speaking of people that love you, I can hear my dog sat by the door crying. Oh, I, I, I promised, I promised him a walk, and he, so he normally goes for a walk at five. Um, so he's obviously realised. Wait a minute. So for listeners' benefit, we're this is now five to five. So he's obviously now like, what's happened? Where's my walk? Don't forget about and- me. And actually, you'll probably cut this out in the edit, but my neighbour, who's my new best friend, just knocked on the door asking if I wanted to go for a walk in the rain. Um, so we've both let down people today <laughs> with walking. No, it's not raining, thank God. Uh, but yeah, so as we wrap up this podcast, that is what I will be doing this evening. Anna, what will you be doing? You know what? I'm working this evening. Um, I am, I'm head of events at Jericho Writers and I'm the director of the World's Biggest Online Writing Festival. So you're pretty much the definition of the multi-hyphenate method. Ah oh, yeah, a portfolio career all the way. I've always had a portfolio <laughs> career since I was um, since I graduated. I've never just done one job full time. Um, sometimes to my own detriment because I'd be working all day during the week and then all night in pubs because yeah. publishing pays badly. It's okay now we're all right. But um, <laughs> I am moderating a conversation between Sarah and Jukes, my colleague, who's a wonderful young adult author of two books called Outside and the World Between Us, which I highly recommend, and Anjali Q. Rafe, who is the author of The Boy at the Back of the Class, no, a Boy at the Back of the Bus, sorry. Um, and um, they are talking about all things about writing that book, about children's publishing, about diversity in the industry. So I will obviously I book that and I and I have to moderate all the sessions whether not I'm on camera so I'm not on camera tonight luckily because I am in my pants because <laughs> <laughs> I am um, I don't work on Thursdays so I'm doing that and then I'm going out for dinner with a friend and then I'll be watching Love Island at some point well I'm say I'm gonna walk the dog come back have some dinner now this is nothing I have never seen slash read Little Women me neither well so well this is the thing I'm like so um, I'm at my parents and they have Sky so I've managed to download the 1994 version with Susan Sarandon and the 2019 version with Emma Watson. So I'm like, which Sweet. version do I watch? But you haven't um, seen it, so you don't know either. I love Susan Sarandon. <laughs> she is a gay icon and I'm obsessed with her. So I, I would say that, but I have heard good things about the other one. You know what? People were disgraced that I hadn't read it. I'm not good at the classics, to be honest. I often find them really inaccessible. I really no, like contemporary literature. I- I felt exactly the same, but the secret is I found to be get them on an audiobook. Right, that's a good one. Because, so I did that with all, pretty much all of Jane Austen because Jane Austen gets remade in so many period dramas, like Pride and Prejudice. Most people have never read the book, but they know the, the premise. So, because I knew the premise of a lot of the books, mm. even if I wasn't like following it exactly, I was like, oh, this is what's happening now. Um, so that's my top tip for 
that's really good that is really good I do love an audiobook actually I've but I find them hard I really I'm much better at listening to audiobooks if I'm like doing one thing so I listened to the whole of Caleb Azuma Nelson's Open Water on one walk I took myself I walked a half marathon that's a lovely book oh my gosh Mm -hmm. I loved it and I had the pleasure of interviewing him for work and oh my gosh he was so eloquent and wonderful and the book is poetry it's incredible and I loved doing that like just walking by myself on a gorgeous hot day took myself out for lunch and just listened to an audiobook the whole day and it was that is like my ideal day and then meeting friends in the evening but I love that whereas if I'm I can only really listen to non-fiction while I'm doing other things because I dip in and out and I've got a very busy brain no I'm exactly the same so I tend to have uh non-fiction audiobooks or podcasts in the background while I'm working and I had um, Barack Obama's book uh, the new one I forget I forget what it's called it'll come to me the new one that just came out and it was the audiobook was something like 33 hours long and wow. I and it took me about two weeks to listen to it because I was like okay I'll just pace myself I'll do like you know two hours of it a day and just pace myself but no it was, was again good. I read Dreams of My Father years ago. Yeah, so I've never read, um, so for people who don't know, he wrote, he wrote some books before he went into politics like Dreams of My Father. Um, and this is his book, which is essentially his memoir from, it kind of picks off when Dreams of My Father left off, but it probably assumes you haven't read that because it really goes from his birth and it goes all the way through to him, I think it's when he, I think it finishes when he wins the election and then part two and obviously there's a part two because Amazon paid him like stupid money so they want to but um and that will be from when he gets elected they published it I think so no maybe it's Penguin I don't know I feel like I've besmirched people now I guess Audible might have had the rights yeah Audible definitely had the rights because I I listen to an Audible and that's the thing I want to hate Amazon but Audible is just so damn good I know I really want a good ethical alternative I'm also very impulsive and I really like DIY. So I want tools the next day. Mm, yeah, I see <laughs> that. I like it too. I, I'm not bad for tools. What I'm really bad for is like dog treats or dog toys. I see it on Amazon and I'm like, my dog needs that. He doesn't. <laughs> He's very spoiled and quite chubby. So he doesn't need any more toys or treats. Bless him. But I think it's still, I'm telling myself it's still puppy fat. He's only nine, 10 months old. So I'm like, puppy fat. Oh, I want a puppy. I don't, but I love them. I want. I really push my parents to get a puppy. In hindsight, if I'd known how much work they were, I would not have pushed so hard. Um, yeah, you've got like, big ones too. It's not that's not a low maintenance dog. No, but my parents both had dogs when they were younger, so they knew how much work a puppy was. I didn't, um, but now I know. So I think if I was going to get a puppy when I'm a proper grown up, I have to be like a a proper proper grown up. It's not just something I get now. Anyone, I don't think there's such thing as a proper grown-up. This is what I've learned in my late 20s. Like, no one is actually a grown-up. They're all just people. I think mm-hmm. I stopped, I stopped like, maturing years ago. And we're all just people that want to have a nice time and feel young forever. Even mm-hmm. my grandma, I'm like, you're mm-hmm. 94. Are you really a grown-up? Like, sure, you've been married and had children and got grandchildren and all of this stuff. But I'm like, you're just a silly person. <laughs> Yeah, interesting. I don't know. To be fair, my grandma is 90, she's still 93, still lives on her own. She's got cats and a pond with fishing and some horses. So if that happened happened to me, I'd be very happy. I think you're a grown up because you're a lawyer, right? And you probably think I'm a grown up because I do loads of book stuff. Doesn't make me any. You're a grown up because I think think my definition of being grown up is having your shit together. And I don't feel like I've got my shit together. Oh, interesting. So I think you've got your shit together. And also, 
I think having your shit together is overrated. I think having not having it together completely keeps you on your toes and makes you always try different things and learn different things. Well, yeah, I mean, so I think my employer, actually, it's my previous employer, so it's fine. Um, when it was Wimbledon, I said, my friend was like, oh, do you want to go for drinks? I was like, yeah. And I texted him in the morning. I was like, actually, do you want to drive us last and go to Wimbledon? And like, normally they do a ballot, but they didn't this year. And I was like, we get last and tickets and we go. And he's like, no, Phoebe, we are adults. Let's go to work. No. He's a grown up. He's a real grown up. He's a mythical grown up. My two best mates are a nurse and a teacher. And it literally baffles me every day. I just can't get my head around. I'm like, you teach children and you save lives. And they think I'm a real grown up because of whatever the hell I do. Like none of us really are. One of my friends is like in a like 100K position at this company and she like gets the drunkest out of all of us. (laughs) Well, 100K can buy you a lot of alcohol. (laughs) It can, it can. That's a lot of Prosecco. (laughs) I'm I'm happy to know I give off the impression of having it together because I don't feel like it. But maybe you just never feel like that. I don't think you ever do. And I think things always change, don't they? I really think, like, if I've learned anything over my career, it's that things are never black and white. People make mistakes. I've worked for companies where people have made very poor decisions. I've worked for great managers. I've worked for bad managers. I've worked on wonderful books. I've worked on books that I'm not really proud of working on. You know, like, we've got everything is nuanced. And there's my friend, the dog. Yeah. Sorry, I don't know if you can hear that. That was my dog talking. I was not shushing Anna. He's... <laughs> Someone is knocking on something, so he's a bit angsty, shall we say. But yeah, he knows it's walk time. <laughs> but yes, thank you very much for coming on. I can't put this this dog off any longer, so I'll have to... Have, have to a nice walk. Yes, you have a lovely evening. Thank you so much for coming on and being a guest. Thanks you for having to- me. Take care. Day.